Welcome to A Second Chance, personal stories of near-death experiences, the journey and beyond. For the most positive and uplifting time on the radio, stay tuned and get in tune with your host, Gina Kane of Second Chance Radio. Welcome to A Second Chance Podcast. Today, I have a very interesting guest. He has a blog called The Overwhelmed Brain, The Journey to a Stress-Free Life. And today we're going to go behind the scenes and he is going to share his own amazing story of divorce and how it has turned around to be a very positive experience and now he is able to help others. So I don't want to give everything away. Let me introduce to you Paul Kaliani. Paul, thank you so much for being here today. Hello, Gina. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I would just love if you could start to tell us a little bit about your past life before the overwhelmed brain. My past life? That sounds like a reincarnation question. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) Well, we do talk about reincarnation on this podcast. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Maybe we'll start from just just before your divorce. Okay. (laughs) I've been in IT most of my life. I've always loved technology. And up until I started the overwhelmed brain in November, no, in July of 2013, I was in computers. I was doing projects. And uh, I've just enjoyed that. I've just enjoyed technology all my life. And the reason I got into the overwhelmed brain was because technology is a lot like how the brain works. Computers work the same way the brain works in a lot of ways because every decision you make is the similar uh, function that a computer makes. It's like a computer is programmed to make a decision just like we're programmed over our lives to make the decisions that we make. So it was a nice transition from technology and computers to how the brain works and personal growth and how to micromanage yourself so you can be the best person that you can be, the most proficient, the most efficient. At least that's my take on it. Other people are like, no, it's all emotional. It's all, no, that's fine too. But that's the way I've learned to transition. So yeah, I was in mostly... Uh, A nine to five, like I've been a nine to fiver all my life, nine to five, either corporate or technology or project jobs. And uh, so I decided to become an entrepreneur. And there's a story behind that. But uh, if you want to get into it, I decided to become an entrepreneur in 2013 and just took off with the overwhelmed brain. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I think that's so amazing. I just did an interview yesterday and the person's a speaker. And he told me part of being successful is being able to share your past vulnerabilities. And I'm kind of curious, how did you first get to where you were able to share your own story with everybody and put it out there? Well, that's interesting because I've always thought of myself as an honest person and I could just be vulnerable with people. So that has kind of helped me transition into what I do now. But on my show, I've learned that the more honest I am about my past, the more open I can be about things that have really hurt me, I feel ashamed by, I'm embarrassed about, uh, any type of abuse that I might have gone through, all this stuff that has happened to me in my past, the more open I am, the more vulnerable I am to the world. However, the more compassionate the world is towards me. And that has really opened me to um, more possibilities and strengthened my my confidence, my personal boundaries, and and everything about me. So I I started doing it in in trickling doses in the very early shows and and my 
the early episodes of my show. And uh, I learned that as I opened up to people, it allowed people to open up to me. And I felt like people were starting to trust me more because I was putting myself out there. I was like, this is my past. This is what I've gone through. This is what I'm going through. And the more I did that, the more people were connecting with me. So it was a process of learning how to take uh, my hurtful past and turn it into, it's going to sound strange, but a message, not of hope, but a message for other people to let them open up to. And, and when you're able to share your vulnerabilities with other people, they suddenly feel like they can share with you. And when you don't share and you hide that stuff, other people around you want to hide their stuff too. So there's, there's like a clash that goes on when you don't, when you're not able to, or don't want to share those scarier parts of your past, those, uh, those brittle parts that you're afraid that, well, it's someone's going to stomp on you. So there's, there's a fine line between getting stomped on and you start to realize that you're not going to get stomped on when you share this stuff because everyone else has stuff that they want to share too, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. So did everything in your personal life happen while you were working your nine to five job? Was that a part of what fed into it? Well, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic household ever since I was one. Uh, my mom divorced my real dad around that time. And then she met um, my stepfather who basically drank until he passed out every day. And even up till last year, and probably this year, he's still drinking, but they finally, wow. they finally got separated. But for about 20 years of my life, I lived in this household where I was afraid. I was scared to get out of my room or come out of my room, uh, because he would be yelling. He had the music blasting and, and he would smash things and kick holes in the walls. So there was, there was a, a, a 20, my first 20 years. I was a late bloomer. I didn't get out of the house until I was 20. But <laughs> my first 20 years was a challenge. Uh, so back then, that was when I was growing up in high school. Then I finally got out of high school and uh, just got some menial job. And then I finally moved out of the house at 20. So ever since that, the thing is, it wasn't that I was having all these new emotional problems come up after I moved out of that situation. It was that every single emotional problem that came up when I went into the quote adult world mm -hmm. stemmed from the past, stemmed from the time I was in this household and learning coping mechanisms and, and learning how to adapt so you didn't or so I didn't evoke drunk dad behavior. Because mm -hmm. when you evoke the behavior, you're going to feel the repercussions of it. So I developed other behaviors that were dysfunctional, but helped protect me at the time I was there. When I took all this dysfunctional behavior, and I hate to call it dysfunctional, but it's really a good word for it because it's, it's not functional. It's not right. Yeah. And when, when you take this childhood behavior into your adult world and think it still applies to situations today, yeah. you don't realize you're doing it. You just realize that this is how I've always operated and I know it's right. Uh -huh. 
And that's the problem. You know it's right because even though it's not necessarily correct for or not necessarily the best thing for the moment. Like if somebody yells at you and you close off or shut down and because you didn't want to get hurt or yelled at when you were a child and that became your defense mechanism. That's That became how you coped. Mm-hmm. Then you learned it was the right thing to do because at the time it worked. And that's what I did. It's just like I learned how to be super perfectionist. I learned how to be a super responsible person because mm-hmm. if I screwed up in front of drunk dad, then drunk dad would get mad or, you know, I would be hurt or something like that. So I learned behaviors that hurt me in many ways and definitely ruined almost all my intimate relationships. But um, I also found ways to use them to my benefit. Uh, There are things that you can, whatever we learn, we can use to our benefit. Yes. And when we have dysfunctional behavior, even though we don't want that behavior anymore, there are still benefits to parts of our behaviors. Like being super responsible on a job is a good quality to have. Um, as long as it doesn't turn into, which it did for me, it doesn't turn into a violation of your personal boundaries because mm-hmm. people tend to walk on you because you're so, you're so responsible that they want you to do everything for them. And so yeah. they'll ask more and more and more of you, which I was always a yes man. Cause if I said yes, then no one would get mad at me and I would neutralize any conflicts and I wouldn't have to be confrontational. So I took that from childhood and uh you take that into a work situation or somebody asks you to do things that you don't necessarily want to do but because you don't want to create any tension you just say yes okay i'll do it hey can you help me move this high to bed sofa okay sure i'll do it i love doing that stuff which isn't true of course yeah (laughs) you start saying yes to everything and then and that's what was starting to happen to me a lot of relationships just feeling or mostly work stuff and friendships but Uh, certainly I took all this stuff from my first 10 or 20 years, uh, of childhood. I don't know if I should call it trauma because people have been through a lot worse trauma than I have. But, uh, the way I coped, I took all those Mm -hmm. coping mechanisms into the adult world and then suddenly they no longer apply, but I didn't figure that out until my late thirties. So how did you figure that out? Was it in your marriage or was it after your marriage? The one thing that really happened in my life was I stopped. I finally got married. Yes. I finally got married. I say finally because that was my first marriage. I was married when I was 40. But I was like, I was looking forward to it. I was like, yes, this is the woman that I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. This is what I want. So I got married. And after a few years, it started to disintegrate. And I was like, what's going on? This isn't, this isn't supposed to be this way. And then soon she wanted to get a divorce. And I was like, what? And I had like a mini breakdown because I thought marriage was supposed to last forever. Mm -hmm. So I just, for a few days, I just moped and I was sad. And then I went through all my past relationships and I realized that Every single relationship I had, except for maybe one, they broke up with me. 
And that was the key. That was like a light bulb turning on going, you know what? That means that there's something that I'm doing that's causing all these problems. Or I just had a string of bad luck or whatever. But (laughs) either way, it was a good idea to go, you know, all this stuff that I think is wrong with them, I need to just let that go and turn it back towards me. And it's not really what's, quote, wrong with me. It's what am I doing to create these situations that are causing all these failures in my life? What am I doing? And uh, it was about a year, actually, timelines off. It was about a year before my marriage ended that I actually started figuring this stuff out. Mm-hmm. But that's when I started going through all this personal introspection, personal growth of learning what it was that I was doing. It, it, took, it took some courage to, to admit that I was wrong anywhere because I was highly judgmental most of my life. Nobody could live up to my standards. Mm-hmm. And I definitely learned that in childhood because I had to create standards that were super high so mm-hmm. that I wouldn't evoke that scary behavior from drunk dad. And so I, I wow. created that for myself. I, I, and and I, I applied these huge high standards for myself, which made me super perfectionist and responsible and a bunch of other traits. And then I wanted that for my intimate relationships as well. So that... Uh, that realization came to me about a year before my marriage ended. And I go, oh, so when I judge you, it's not there's, that there's something wrong with you. It's that there's something that I'm not accepting uh, in myself or I'm wanting to project my own standards onto you. It was, it was, it was quite a um, profound, actually, because I, I, t- I spent all my life being a high judger of people Mm -hmm. they're not living up to my standards and no one will ever (laughs) live up to your standards no one will ever live up to my standards Mm -hmm. and the one mistake i made or one of the biggest mistakes i made in my marriage is that instead of me honoring my personal boundaries and getting out of the marriage for something i didn't like her doing i stayed in the marriage and continued to judge her for doing it so no matter what she was doing, I would, you know, there were certain things I judged about her. And uh, that really hurt her, hurt our relationship, and then in the end hurt me. So really, I probably should have just gotten out of the relationship because obviously if if I can't accept the things that she does and I judge them, then mm-hmm. that's a personal boundary issue, not anything that she's doing. I just like, hey, if I can't accept this in my life, I should leave. But I stayed in there because wow. I was so dependent and I wanted this to be a success. So I decided to instead judge her and try to change her, which mm-hmm. we know doesn't always work <laughs> ever. It was such an amazing discovery that you made. And when I was reading your blog, this was the part that really intrigued me about you. A lot of people, they never see that side of it. They always think it's the other person. Do you have any idea what it was that allowed you to see into your own life as you did? They do always think it's the other person because they don't want to admit uh, or they just don't, like I said before, they, they take these coping mechanisms from childhood and believe that that is the right way to act now. And when you believe that how you acted when you were six, 10, 15, how you acted then 
it, when you believe that it's the right way to act now, when you're no longer in that situation in the same context with the same people who had their own dysfunctions, then you have to get, you have to take a step back and, mm -hmm. and what prompts you to do that is you look at all the things that are quote failing in your life. I didn't succeed at this. I'm terrible at this. Um, this person's mad at me all the time, or I just can't keep a relationship mm -hmm. and it must be everyone else. You, you, <laughs> you change, you change that mentality and you go, all right. And here's the question I ask myself because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it was me, but I did ask myself a question. If it was me, what would it be? What mm -hmm. would be the problem? And that's how I started exploring what it could be inside myself. If I, if I was the problem in this relationship, if I was the problem at my job, what would it be? It's kind of like stepping outside of yourself. It's that dissociation thing mm -hmm. where you step outside of yourself and look at yourself from a third person perspective. Look at yourself from your coworker's point of view. Look at yourself from your partner's point of view and look at your behavior. Does, does that behavior, is that healthy behavior? Is that behavior that you would want in your life? So these are all questions that you ask yourself when you're reflecting or introspecting and wondering, quote, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my life? Why does everyone want to leave me? Or why can't I keep a job? It's all those questions. And when you finally submit and go, if I'm the common denominator in all of these problems, then if I am the problem, what is the problem? It, it, and you start exploring what do I do that, um, not encourages, but, um, exacerbates, you know, what do I do yeah. that helps the problem amplify? What do I do that helps the problem along and continue and grow and we don't want those problems to grow and get bigger. We want them to get smaller. And I started asking myself questions like that. And that's what it takes is that we spend a lot of time being self-centered in a bad way, in the, in yeah. the way, because the self-centered, you can be good as well, but self-centered in the way that nothing wrong with me must <laughs> be the rest of the world. Once we can shift out of that, and just explore what if it wasn't me? And that's mm -hmm. what I started doing. What if it's not me? And, and then I found some really interesting things about myself. Okay, this behavior, and, and then you start listening. I don't like, you start listening to other people, what they say about you, like especially yeah. intimate partners. And when you start listening to them, you go, and they say, you know, I don't like when you say this about me, or I'm uncomfortable, or I'm mad at you, or the things that get, uh, triggered in them. Once yeah. you understand how you're triggering them, you explore yourself again and going, wow, what could I do that would not trigger this person? And that changes, you start changing you bit by bit. This is just amazing stuff you're sharing. <laughs> do you find once you get past that vulnerability and how difficult it is to see that side of yourself, do you find it, it puts you back in that feeling or perhaps gives you the feeling for the first time that you actually do have some power or some control now over your life? Once I get past the vulnerabilities? Yeah. Like when I share vulnerabilities with other people? Just meaning when you're in that spot of starting to realize that 
you know, you have problems. That's yeah. a hard, hard place to be. It's but also, yeah, go ahead. Once you've seen what the problems are, did it make you feel like you now had control though over your life? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, because once I've seen the problems, I realized how unconscious I was to them. Right. So I had no control. It, you know, we always have a certain level of control of how we respond to things, how we react, how we behave. Uh, and then there's the unconscious part of us that's just on autopilot. It's just, it's just doing things and reacting to things. And we don't even think about it so fast So because mm -hmm. our brain works fast. And uh, when I look back at my past and see how I behaved, see how I responded, I could say, well, I could have controlled myself. And then I realize, you know, if I really could have, uh, then I probably wouldn't be as dysfunctional as I was. And if I wasn't as dysfunctional as I was, I probably wouldn't have lost that relationship. Oh, okay. it, it, it's, it feels like an excuse when I say it. It feels like I can't look back there and go, well, I didn't have to judge that person. I didn't have to put that person down. Right. But then I think back, how conscious, you know, how evolved was my consciousness back then? Yeah. And, and I go, I have to give myself a break. I go, of course I was that way. Otherwise, I would be the way I am now and I wouldn't behave the way, you know, I would have behaved back. You know, the way I behave now is a lot different. I think a lot more mm -hmm. evolved than I was. But 10 years ago, there's no way I could have responded any other way because I didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've built 10 years worth of resources on how to behave. And I also have different um I don't like to call them coping skills nowadays because it's not like I'm coping, but we do learn how to cope in the world and we have different toleration points and we learn that things aren't such a threat as they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so, yeah, I can look back now and go, okay, 10, 20 years ago, I was mis basically mistreating people. I would mm -hmm. mistreat people, close people in my life and I would lose relationships. And I think back to who I was back then and I realized I guess there really is no other way I could have been. Mm -hmm. how, how could I have been any different? Because if I was different, then I, I wouldn't have evolved to where I'm at now. Oh, absolutely. So was it kind of a pursuit of self-forgiveness perhaps? Hmm. That's a tough one. Self-forgiveness. I don't know if my pursuit was so much that, but... I think it came with the package. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think in order to stop, whether you hate people or, you know, in order to, to stop doing negative things that you don't want to do anymore, self-forgiveness is part of that. Absolutely. Because if we don't like something in someone else, then we can allow them to be or we can continue to complain about it day after day, year after year of how they are never going to change and they're always pissing me off and they're always just the bad person. But yet I want, I'm keeping them in my life. So is there something that I'm not doing in me to get beyond this person? Am I not letting them go? Am I not doing the things I need to do to improve myself or am I just focused on this other person and how angry they make me. So <clears throat> with my stepfather, there that came out 
uh, one night. This was shortly after I met my future ex-wife, I guess you could call her. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was when we first started dating. Uh, I was depressed. I was depressed from my last relationship of 13 years. And um, I was not healing that fast from my depression. But one day she said, you know what? I can't handle your depression. I need to leave wow. this situation. And I was like, what? No, I'm working on it. I, I'm working on getting better. She goes, no, I, I can't handle it. Why don't, you, why don't you let me know when you've gotten out of this or healed or whatever? And it was at that point, something snapped in my brain. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I, and I, it just blasted out of my mouth. I hate my stepfather. <laughs> and this years of pain and crying just came out and I collapsed on the floor and my head was on her, her lap and I was just crying. I was just so, I don't know, all this emotional, repressed emotions, repressed anger, repressed hatred came out of how much I hated him, how much he put me through. And, uh, that was a huge emotional release. So mm -hmm. it, it, tying this back to forgiveness towards myself is like, it, I really believe it's part of allowing myself to feel what's real. And I, yeah. I think that's what happened to me is that I needed to feel what, uh, what was real inside of me. Cause we're not supposed to hate anyone, right? You're not supposed to go around <laughs> hating people, but I held on to that hate. And because I held on to it, I didn't hate him. And you know what? By not hating him, I hated myself. Yeah. And so once I let that hate out and admitted it that I hated them, I hated them, then all that hatred, there's a self-forgiveness for sure, all that hatred came out of me because I expressed it. I finally expressed the true feelings and emotions that I had inside of me. And once that came out, I no longer hated him or myself because the hatred was just stored in there and I had to mm -hmm. get out. So yeah, we're not supposed to quote hate anyone, but if you really have an emotion, don't repress it, express it and let it come out and you need a safe place to do it typically. But yeah, it was that moment, that snapping moment that happened for me. I snapped and all that hatred came out. And once that did, uh, that self-forgiveness uh, of me, I, I mean, forgiving yourself for hating even it's like, yeah. Uh, once, because once you express all there is to express, it releases the emotional energy behind it, mm -hmm. and uh, it's not as it's not as controlling in your life anymore. And once that was gone, God, my, my depression started going away very fast. Oh wow! I, I wasn't repressing anything. It just I just letting it out from that point on. It started expressing myself more and more, and that's when I we talking about vulnerabilities. That's when I started becoming more vulnerable, vulnerable, realizing that it was healing. Wow. What happened with your relationship? Well, uh, my relationship started off great. This was with my, my at the time, future wife. And, but a few weeks into it, my judgment kicked in. I was like, oh, you like to eat sugary snacks all the time. You must be addicted <laughs> to sugar. Great. I don't like addicts in my life because I lived with an addict for 20 years and he drank every day and every time he drank his behavior changed uh -huh. and so I didn't want someone that had 
uh, who changed their behavior because they needed something. Uh, you know, they needed their addiction. And so that's what I did. I saw the addiction in her to sugar or snacks or junk food. And I started getting scared within myself. So instead of going, whoa, I don't want this in my life and backing mm-hmm. out of it, I stayed in it because I saw so many other good things in the relationship. And instead of, you know, doing quote the right thing and going, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to work out. If you, you get over your addiction and you get over your problems, then you can call me, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of pointing the finger at her, but there was a lot more involved, but that's what I should have done. I just honored myself and said, you know, I don't want this in my life. I'm glad I didn't because I definitely had, you know, a lot of great times with her and I went through a huge amount of personal growth because of her. But, uh, that was a few weeks into it. I got triggered. That was that emotional trigger that kicked in going, Oh, she has an addiction. So let me, uh, put my, my suit of armor on here and start judging her. Because she's the one with the problem. So that relationship, quote, blossomed with this huge trigger in the midst of it. And I took that trigger into our marriage. And my judgments about her and the things that she did uh, were definitely problematic and caused almost the entire degradation of our marriage. So we had good times, but we also had that dysfunction. (laughs) So unfortunately, we're coming up to the last couple minutes. Oh, my God. I'm wondering if you want to do a part two, because I think you probably have enough to share. We could fill <laughs> a whole nother episode. Let's do it again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate talking with you. You're awesome, Gina. It's good to meet you. You too. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Second Chance Radio. Personal stories of near-death experiences, the journey and beyond. For the most positive and uplifting time on the radio. So tune in again with your host, Gina Kane of Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio.